0: Now, listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast.
1: Welcome. This is episode 133, and I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff. Last week, we talked a little bit about uh, our new forum, which is getting some more action. Very lovely, very nice. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about Amazon Web Services. We talked about GitLab. I just saw an error in my links here. That's that's a problem. Uh, we talked about Contradiction, a new HTML5 game. And we talked about Rogatron. And uh, Dan Nagel has met the challenge. Rogatron now supports Elliot Quest, which is another cool. HTML5 game on Steam. So very awesome there.
0: Um, I think there's actually another one coming out. I just saw this today. There's this other uh, kind of, it's called a poetic roguelike. Poetic roguelike? Yeah, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but it's like Rimdreza.
1: That doesn't sound like, right at all.
0: <laughs> R-M'd was something something Anyways, uh, you'll put a link in the show notes. Sure. And uh, it's a Node... Sorry, NWJS-based game coming to Steam in uh, August. Nice. So uh, we'll throw down a future gauntlet. <laughs> Is <laughs> Yeah. Is that a
1: genre now? I would have thought that... Um, what was the one road not taken yes that's a roguelike and it is i mean it's in the title it's very poetic right because mm. uh road not taken comes from was it robert frost
0: i, I believe that it is yeah
1: i need to think way back to my english lit days uh, i think that's right though but uh maybe that's a genre poems meets roguelikes
0: <laughs> i don't think yeah i don't know i'm not sure i haven't really played it but how do you feel about poetry jeff it's fine is it your thing no Do you write
1: poetry? I don't <laughs> <laughs> I could see you doing that You read it to yourself in the mirror <laughs> Never breaking gonna, eye contact I'm gonna make a Tiger Hat poem Oh you Ode. should Ode to Tiger Hat I've I mentioned before I, I'm not the biggest poetry fan I'll say one thing though I like I like a good uh, comedic haiku Those make oh, me happy Oh
0: Tiger Hat <laughs> Dost oh. thou sit above my head Oh Tiger Hat my Tiger Hat <laughs> <laughs> oh oh, ignorance lack of knowledge on
1: subjects (laughs) what dost thou mean to me uh so so today today we're talking about unity of course because that's the tool we're using to make video games and uh we're gonna balance that out with some art stuff i think i mentioned last week i'm gonna talk about like i don't know i'm gonna try matt's art tips (laughs) and i gotta put my (laughs) tiger head on because you know that i'm not a traditional i guess i am a traditional artist because i make art traditionally i'm not a conventional artist i'm
0: not an artist by trade or haven't been well my you kind of ass. are now if you think about it like yes h- how do you make money right now matt i, I don't
1: <laughs> 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 i get paid every three to six months depending on how steam is doing and whether or not we've had a kickstarter <laughs> uh the, oh, the very definition of a starving artist no it's true i for uh going on a year maybe not quite a year but approaching a year i've like I, I put the, the art hat on harder, <laughs> like a tighter yes. fit. <laughs> it became more like an art helmet <clears throat> than art hat. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. I've got some tips and I'm going to talk about like the kind of things I've been tackling and uh, kind of this lance that might be interesting for some people is that I'm coming at it from a programmer background, you know, and that's a thing. There's a term. It's called programmer art. You know, we're very familiar with that. And I think that a lot of uh, programmers can relate. You know, they're like... I can program, I can design games, I feel like I'm competent, but I suck at art. And I see this, like, all the time on our game dev, on Reddit, I see it on various forums. It's a a really common thing. So, like, hopefully that'll be an interesting kind of slant, you know, is that I'm not just, yeah, yeah, make art, here it is. But it's like, I had to learn this stuff starting in 2010, you know, and kind of incrementally. And then over the last couple of years uh, or, you know, months or whatever, started hitting it really hard. So, like, it's some best practices that other people could do to learn and whatnot. Nice. But yeah, I'll probably talk about that after we uh, we drill you about Unity. Yay. I I love
0: getting drilled about (laughs) Unity. Oh, man. Uh, So I had another live stream yesterday. You did? It went well. As we do. Yeah, it went really well. Lots of great interaction in the chat. I really enjoy that. Uh, It's awesome. So thank you to everyone that came by and said hi and offered their opinions and stuff like that. That was great. I was working on uh, some gizmos a little bit. Um, which are kind of like uh, interactive objects in the world, like uh, buttons and switches and walls that go up and down. And it's actually something that I implemented before, but, and as I mentioned on the stream, whenever I implement something for the first time, I I usually hate it. It's bad, yeah. Yeah, so I took another stab at it uh, yesterday, and I think that I'm happier with the approach um, because it's a little looser, more loosely coupled yeah, that can be uh, my bu- buttons and my walls and stuff. So um, if you're interested in that stuff, you can go ahead and check out the live stream, which uh, hopefully I will be posting later today, uh, the exported version onto YouTube. Takes a while, right? Yeah, it does. YouTube has to process stuff as usual. But um, look for that. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. If it's not in the show notes today, um, it'll probably be at least, uh, we'll announce it on Twitter. Um, and then, you know, can always join us next week, uh, Monday, 6 p.m. Pacific, For another live stream where I will work on more stuff. For those of us who are less
1: fluent with Unity, uh, help us out here. Is a gizmo a Unity thing? Is it like, make a new gizmo? Or is that just what you're calling a group of entities that... Like, is it your own
0: personal term? Or is it a Unity term, I guess? Yes.
1: (laughs) The answer is
0: yes. (laughs) Well, actually, this is why it's kind of a confusing term, is because it is both a Unity thing Mm. and my own term for something else. Because... In Unity, a gizmo is actually just a debugging tool that helps you visualize certain things. So, like, for example, in the Unity debugger, an entity with an audio source component, which would mean that it can emit sounds, uh, would have, like, a little, um, like, kind of like a bell, like a sound icon, essentially, on it. And so, like, you can visually see, when you're looking at the scene, which things have audio components attached and that kind of stuff. Nice. Nice. Um, another example would be like, uh, it draws green boxes around colliders. So like you can turn on the gizmos in the unity inspector and you can see like, okay, which things have collision and like, where are the boundaries? And so it's really easy for debugging. And anyways, they call those debugging overlays gizmos.
1: I see, man, that reminds me of, uh, the border one pixel solid red.
0: that I used to put
1: everywhere. And, uh, (laughs) actually not that long ago when we did the uh, wizard lizard Two microsite, uh, that was the first time i'd messed with css in many moons i think, been quite a while and I, I found myself falling back to old habits i was doing the border one pixel solid red and i was like why didn't i ever make you know web inspector part of my workflow <laughs> instead of like yeah you know, attaching
0: borders and refreshing and like hey there it is i can see it i was gonna say you can just kind of like hover over an element in the inspector and it'll put borders on it for I, you i know okay you know those things in life that you're you're aware of and you just you don't do
1: it for like who knows why you know yeah i don't know man but that just reminded me of that it's cool
0: i like how unity uh does that the icons are are very helpful you know um i'm actually trying to to get better at that stuff too because unity does it has all kinds of cool stuff you can like draw lines in the debugger yeah uh that kind of show you like certain vectors or something i mean really whatever you want you can just draw a debug line from one point to another and you can use it to you know debug raycasting or show line of sight or you know whatever you want to use it for
1: you were doing that on the lights right you were working on a script where it was like um proximity detection a lamp or a lantern or something would know when the player is nearby based on line of sight and proximity and we yeah. enable or disable itself
0: so i'm trying to get better at that stuff too because unity has a lot of uh, debugging tools that you know i'm starting to get more comfortable with but i find myself falling back on the good old debug.log fairly often you know which is just right you know console debugging essentially.
1: console.log yeah pretty much gotta love that
0: cool stuff going on um with unity in general uh i want to talk a little bit about lighting in unity because i think it's kind of a complicated subject yeah um, apparently. it's something that i've been kind of struggling with to get it to feel exactly like I want. Um, I found this one
1: really interesting because, you know, from my own perspective, a Wizards Lizard 1 lighting, I feel like I know pretty intimately because we both were actually, you know, digging into the code and we had several iterations and there was like optimization passes and that kind of thing. But like I know the ins and the outs of how the lighting works in a Wizards Lizard 1, right? right? And then also that coupled with like when we first started messing with Unity at all back before... You know, we committed to it. You know, we were playing around with mono game and some other stuff. It was one of the very first things that you got going is you're like, you know, okay, here's a little sim, here's a little map, bam, here's lighting. It was it was early, you know, and it seemed like that first step was really easy. But then uh, from my perspective, I, you know, I don't really know. I knew you were playing with it a little bit, but I didn't know what the troubles were. You know, and then just the other day, we had a pretty lengthy conversation about like basically the stuff you're going to talk about now. But I found it really interesting because, you know, um, you were shedding light on it. Mm.
0: do you like yeah i got a chuckle that's great well well done well yeah done. yeah yeah good one uh i think it's one of those things where it's really easy to just get the bare minimum going you know right. it's really easy in unity to say like here's a light and things are lit like good job done ship it right <laughs> um but there's a lot of nuance to how the lights work the performance of the lights Uh, and how to get the effects that you want, especially when we're talking about 2D. So a lot of this is just going to be concerned with lights in a 2D game. And uh, I kind of feel like this is an area where, you know, the fact that Unity is a 3D engine by default kind of really comes through. Right. Uh, Because the lights, even in a 2D sense, the, like, depth of the lights matters a lot. So the first thing that's interesting about lights in Unity is that, Essentially uh, what you have in a 2D Unity is like this two-dimensional plane where all of your objects exist. And then you have lights, right? And the lights uh the distance from that plane matters, right, for the Unity light. So like picture this. Uh Unity uh, the center of the of the universe in Unity is 000, x0 y0 z0. Right. And that's planet def- Earth. That's that's because <laughs> <laughs> clearly we are in the center of the universe. Yes, clearly, yes, yes. Right, and so uh, by default, you know, if you're making a 2D game, you'll probably set up all of your, you know, 2D sprites on the z-axis at, at zero, right? So it's just kind of that's just like the baseline for where everything exists. Yep. Um, if you put your light at zero, you won't see anything because and, it's not
1: shining on it, right? It's like shining right. with so you're it.
0: shining in it. <laughs> in it yeah yes. uh, and so uh, there's a few different types of lights in unity too it's not just like here's a light there's point lights there's area lights uh, there's spotlights. there is baked lighting there's dynamic lighting wow uh, there's this really deep subject about how to you know handle all this stuff but for the sake of this argument we'll talk about point lights which are really just a point in 3d space that emits light in all directions is that what you have been using uh, it was, so point I've been lights? using two different kinds, point lights and spotlights. Interesting. Did you play with all the various types of lighting? Um, I did. I tried to play with a- area lights, but I can't get them to work at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I see. Okay, so you played with all of them,
1: and you boiled it down to two different types that you were going to use, and how, yeah. how did you decide that
0: those were the two that you liked? Well, because those are the two that I, the only two that I could get to work the way that I wanted to. Okay. And how did you want to get it to work? (laughs) What what were your parameters, basically? I kind of wanted to see if I could simulate the same kind of lighting we had in AWL1. Yeah. Uh, But the hard part about that is that the lighting in AWL1 is not really lighting at all. It's bakery. (laughs) Yeah, it's like pseudo real-world (laughs) lighting-ish. Essentially, the way the lighting works in AWL1 is that it is a radial gradient drawn in canvas... Uh, with some color, and then it, uh, as the gradient, you know, goes out, it gets more transparent. And so there's actually that, multiple layers in was lizard 1, 2, right? Yeah, there's two layers, basically. Uh, I could talk about that a second, but the actual colored lights themselves. Right. Uh, well, I guess maybe we should talk about the, so the way it works uh, at the very basic level is that there's a, an overlay, which we call darkness. Yeah. Which is really just a some amount of black overlay over the entire screen. And then for each light, it has a radius and we do a, uh, a radial gradient again that starts at pure white and gets more transparent as it gets to the edges of the, of the gradient. And we use that as a cutout of the darkness. It's like a mask. Yeah, exactly. So if you can kind of picture like you've got this, you know, almost black color covering the entire screen, it's just like uh, a rectangle. And then wherever there's a light, you just cut out this gradient hole uh, that... And in a a very simple manner, you could just make it a a purely uh, transparent circle you cut out, right? And then you get this effect where you just have all these entities with these big, you know, cutout circles around them. Um, But to make that look better, to kind of fade it, we use radial gradients. Yeah. Uh, And then the second part is that you can also put a colored radial gradient in that same spot uh, in order to make it look like there is a colored light. So, you know, orange, yellow, green, whatever, you, whatever color you want the light to be. <clears throat> and so that's how Wizards Lizard works. And, and all that it really does, right, is that it uses a specific canvas blend mode when it puts the light over uh, the sprites. Which one is that? Darker? uh it might be darker i don't remember the exact blend mode i that think it used. it's
1: darker but um there used to be a really great page about the the canvas types of overlays you it would, know it would give you um you know examples um of the rendering type you know and i'll put a link to that i think it's mozilla's website it's really good stuff
0: yeah anyways and so that that actually worked pretty well like we were pretty happy with that but it's uh it's extremely simple and it's not really uh actual lighting right i hear lots of dog petting going on no that's dog <laughs> scratching i don't know where he is <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, I lost my train of thought. You lost no. your train. Your train boss got away from you. That's right. The train you lost boss the thought. train boss fight. <laughs> anyway, so we were pretty happy with the uh, the lighting in AW01. Um, and I kind of wanted to replicate that, but it, it's a lot more difficult because lighting is so much more complicated in Unity. Yeah. Uh, because one is meant for 3D stuff. And so the way that a point light works in Unity is it's this like point in 3D space that emits light in all directions. And so... It has properties like you know radius and intensity and stuff like that, but it also has the positioning which matters right like so if the light is like one unit above your two d plane, you will see it um, but the light it casts will like the radius uh, will change as you uh bring that light closer or farther away from your kind of 2d planes i see um and then it also has like a uh like a radius and intensity and so it makes it a little bit more complicated to work with um because of that and uh if you can picture a point light the point light is actually kind of like a big sphere of light it's not like a 2d circle it's like a sphere of light if you can picture that like the sun yeah exactly it's like a point in space that emits light in all directions gotcha The spotlight is actually a little bit more like what we had in AWL1, which is that it's like this kind of directional thing that just casts like a cone of light at a certain spot. That's like a flashlight or the bat symbol. Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it also has the same kind of like behavior in that like the farther away it gets and the closer it gets to something, you know, that changes. I mean, you can picture like if you have a flashlight and you're holding it against the wall and if you're holding it one inch from the wall, it's a very small circle. Right. And the farther you pull the flashlight away from the wall, the bigger that circle gets. So the the Z matters, right? Even though the Z is
1: not something that like we would only use it for overlap. Say for example if Raga wants to walk behind like a street lamp, right? He would he would like a clip underneath parts of the street lamp because of the Z ordering, right? But nope. when you when you look at that in Unity, it looks like there's actually this big gap between the entities right even though when you're looking at it in the um the 2d rendering they look like they're on the same flat plane so is is the lighting affected by that like as things have a lower or higher z do they kind of disappear from the effect of the light
0: uh they could like you know if you have something that's a higher z or closer to the camera than the light yeah uh it won't get lit interesting um when you're talking about though the sprite overlapping there there's like a whole another that's a whole another discussion because Uh, most of the sprite overlapping that we do right now in a wizard lizard two is not done with z like all of those things exist on the same z plane oh um, but there's a second sprite rendering property that allows you to render things on specific layers gotcha so that's actually not a problem with the lighting the way it currently is set up uh no it's not great that's good um because like i said so basically everything that exists in abl2 uh all the flat sprites they exist at z0 gotcha and then you pull the lights back to whatever distance from the you know 2d plane of 0 or the z of 0 that you want to uh like it gets the kind of lighting effect that you want yeah the thing about that though is that it has like some other weird oddity things to it where uh the way that it lights sprites is different. So uh, the way that it lights sprites is based on the material of the sprite. And so by default, sprites don't get any light at all. Hmm. So if you just have a sprite in the world and you have a light next to it and you've done nothing else, it's not going to get lit Uh, because the default sprite material just doesn't get lighting. Like whatever shader that material is using, um, just won't receive light the way that you would expect, and so you have to use a different kind of a material on your sprite uh, that will allow it to be lit. Essentially, gotcha. Um, so there's that. Um, there's also the fact that um, the lighting um, by default there's like a uh, there's a setting called important, uh, which tells the light like how how good of a quality it's supposed to be rendering, I guess. Um, important sets the quality. Uh,
1: yes. Oh, that's weird. I feel like important is always this like bandaid feature, you know, like we talked yeah. about this before with the CSS and specificity, you know, it's like,
0: what you just throw an important in there. Come on. It feels, right. it feels lazy. Uh, it's, it's kind of the same thing because what happens is when you have a lot of lights in the scene, um, they especially if you have many lights overlapping the same sprite uh it will you know cause them to render more quickly i guess like less quality Mm -hmm. and so you get like especially in a tile-based approach it's really bad right like uh the effect that it gives you is that the tiles are lit like from a vertex not like per pixel Mm -hmm. and so you get like you could very clearly see the differences in the in the tiles because the light uh, is just crappily ap- applied to them. I see. I mean, if you can picture 3D lighting, you know, imagine that every, you know, every tile in the game is this flat 2D square uh, that's like a 3D object, right? Right. And when you light 3D objects, like from the vertex, you're lighting it from like the corners of that rectangle. And so you get like this really weird pattern where like the light is applied to each tile individually yeah and you lose the continuity between your tile map yeah that doesn't sound good no um you can fix that by like either upping the number of lights uh that you can have in a scene uh or by marking a certain light as important which means that it will render like pixel lighting instead of vertex lighting Both of those
1: sound uh, expensive performance-wise to me. Is that true?
0: Yeah, it is, Uh, as far as I can tell, you know? Yeah. Um, Also, like, if you're lighting things, um, it uh, messes with the batching of sprites. So, you know, Unity has some built-in optimizations where it'll try and, like, you know, all of these sprites are from the same atlas, let's say, and so I can just batch them. But once you start lighting them, um, you can't batch... Uh, all those sprites together because they need to go through different shaders or whatever. Gotcha. Um, so it's, a, it's pretty complicated stuff. You know, it's not uh, as simple a proposition as it was for us in AWL1. You were hoping
1: it was going to be just you press the Unity Lights button and <laughs> <laughs> magical, you now have Unity Lights. Right. I and mean, that was well, kind of that easy from the first step. It just wasn't uh, an ideal solution, right?
0: Well, the problem is is that there are there's a lot of nuance to the lights. And so... You know, once you start really getting into the nitty-gritty of like uh, having lights, multiple lights, colored lights, the distance of the lights, the radius of the lights, um, all these things kind of have implications that you have to deal with, um, and especially like you know uh, when you're talking about uh, like tile maps and stuff. Like, really, the lighting, the reason it's such a problem, uh, problematic thing, is because of the tile map mostly. Uh, because of those tile sprites need to receive lighting in a very specific way in order to look good. So is any of the upcoming
1: Unity 2D stuff going to address the, any of these problems that you're having, do you think?
0: Um, I would expect that it would, but like, there's it's so early days with that yeah. stuff. Uh, a couple months ago or a month ago or whatever, uh, I pulled down the the alpha of that, and I started playing around with it, and it is just woefully... Uh, <laughs> basic (laughs) i see i mean it's really cool i'm looking forward to the fact that a lot of the stuff might be native and like 2d lights would be a thing but it's really just like it's not something that we can even think about right now because it's just not it's not ready yeah that's a shame so i've been looking into these like third-party packages that do 2d lights because you know kind of circling back uh again the lights in unity are meant for 3d worlds right And so, when you're trying to apply them to 2D stuff, you know, it just doesn't always work the way that you want. And I think that's just a byproduct of the fact that, you know, Unity was built to be a 3D engine, and then, you know, for a long time, they didn't even have proper 2D support. You know, there was third-party, like, 2D toolkit and stuff like that, I guess, that could make that happen, but, uh, you know, it wasn't like a built-in thing that Unity did on its own uh, very easily. And so, I think that the lights are still kind of in that realm where they're really meant for 3d you can kind of hack them up to use them for 2d but uh i don't think it's going to give you the exact look and feel that you might want um gotcha i mean it might it's not horrible you know like we could make them work the way you know we could wrangle them into into uh servitude <laughs> yeah but uh i kind of feel like like a more focused 2d lighting uh, solution be better and so i started playing around with some of these 2d lighting packages that are on the unity app store and uh, i found a couple that are really cool and they they work in different ways um but they also have their own ups and downs because of the way that they uh, want to do things and both of them are difficult to use with sprite tile and so this is a an interesting case where like you know, when you're dealing with all these third-party packages on the uh, on the Unity App Store, you know they don't always jive because they might want to do things in a little bit of a different way. And uh, I think specifically, one of the biggest problems is that Sprite Tile tries to uh, optimize the tile rendering by only having a small pool of tiles. That get shown, you know, based on the screen position, and I talked a little bit about that on the uh, the stream yesterday. But essentially, what's happening is that as the camera moves around, sprite tile will move the tiles around and change their sprite to, you know, whatever sprite is supposed to be in the location where the camera is. Huh? And so when you have, you know, when you're using sprite tile, you don't have an entire level of these 2D sprites uh that exist you know statically right they're constantly moving around and having their sprites change to give you the effect of you know this is what the world you're looking at yeah uh, but that actually makes it really difficult to work with some of these 2d packages because these 2d packages like they either want to like use colliders or they want to light the sprites themselves, but those sprites don't exist all the time and, they, and they're constantly moving around. Hmm. So, I mean, there's kind of ways to get around that stuff, but um, basically the, the upshot is it's really complicated no matter which way you slice it. Um, one, because of the choices we made with our stack, like using something like Sprite Tile, uh, which, you know, not to rag on it, it has a lot of great features and uh, I like what it does, but, you know, it's kind of that eternal uh, problem when you start using... A lot of dependencies because they don't always play together nicely. Because you know, the guys that wrote some of these two D lighting systems uh, in Unity, we're like we're not thinking about sprite tile when they develop these lighting systems. You know,
1: it's interesting because listeners uh, who are hearing this like a year from now, they might be like, "These problems are all solved."
0: Unity yeah, had these great be.
1: updates. Run <laughs> U- Unity seventeen million right, right. now and the uh, perfect two D engine, flawless.
0: Flawless. That yeah, could be. Uh, anyways, uh, I think that what I might try to do is get better at like the masking uh, part of Unity and just try and recreate the the lighting that we had in AW01 using like radial gradients and stuff.
1: I was going to ask about that because Unity surely has just these basic pieces that you need, right? Because it's like from our, from our perspective, it was like, okay, a canvas that you can use to, you know, draw like a buffer, basically, like you can draw off screen and use it as just like data for your your mask and stuff. And then like the overlay over the screen is just like, you know, just draw in black, translucent black, and then you just poke holes in it. And these are all just primitive tasks, you know, like it's got to be something Unity would support. But it does sound, you know, probably more expensive, obviously more expensive than just taking someone's package and plugging it in and being done. But when each solution that you've tried is riddled with problems... It seems like the one that we use for AWL one might be one of the simpler ones.
0: Yeah, it might be, and kind of give us the exact effect that we want, perhaps. Right. Yeah, more control. Yeah.
1: Hmm. So that's going to be one of your next tasks. You're going to try to do
0: the lighting wizards, 1- wizards one style. Um, I might. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> Interesting. One of the uh, one of the packages I was working with actually kind of does something very similar. It's like a 2D lighting system. And it uses, like, these sprites to mask the lights. And uh, what it does is, like, I was looking at the sprites that it uses, and they're just radial gradients, essentially. Hmm. And so that made me think that, like, I could actually get uh, a similar effect. Yeah. Um, yeah that particular package actually did a lot of stuff. Like, it did ray casting to cast shadows around 2D objects, um, which is a pretty cool effect, uh, all in all. But I don't know if it's something we need for this Oh, that was the game. one you sent
1: me screenshots of.
0: I did, yeah, yeah.
1: That's a pretty common look. I, you see that in a lot of, especially roguelikes and in indie games. Uh, I think Monaco uses a kind of similar setup where it looks like you know lights are emitting from your character, and when it hits tiles, it'll kind of like you know draw uh, from the corners. So right. like the tile itself is like
0: a you know solid block and blocking the light, right? Which is a it's a pretty cool looking uh, effect. Um, I would like. I don't know. I'm kind of interested in making that. Uh, happen for a w too but we'll see do you have uh, any of these lighting unity tools that you want to tell people about so they can check them out um one that I like so far i think was called lights two d it's fifty bucks on the asset store um and then there's another one which is uh similar it's a lot cheaper it's like fifteen bucks it's called two d dynamic lights or just two d DL, and uh It does similar stuff, but I don't think it's quite as nice. So, you get what you pay for. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. But, again, this is kind of a problem with with all these packages is that there's a lot of stuff on the asset store and it's hard to wade through and and figure out what things you might want to use. And you cannot try before you buy, right? Not that I'm aware of, no. I see. And do you get access to... Like, is it raw?
1: Do you have access to the source and stuff or is it more Mm -hmm. like you just install these things? Um, and I think it could be somewhere. both
0: ways. Um, I think that they could either just distribute a DLL. Um, but a lot of the packages that I've purchased have, uh, always come with the source code as well.
1: So that's up to the seller.
0: I believe it is. Yeah. Like they can either just distribute a DLL to you or they can distribute source code Huh? and it'll work in unity either way. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. So, uh, it's interesting stuff.
1: Jeff's adventures in lighting.
0: Yeah, I mean, but it, it kind of highlights the fact that uh, lighting is this deep hole, <laughs> <laughs> right? And then we have any. I, I talked about normal mapping on our previous podcast, and uh, you know, that's a whole another ball of wax. Uh, Sprite Delight. It, well, Sprite Delight is something that, that generates normal maps, but um, and Unity just consumes them,
1: right? Like but naturally. there
0: are there are ups and downs of using normal maps in Unity as well. Yeah, like it. Uh, it's just another. Piece of the complicated lighting puzzle yeah
1: mm. well i hope so. that the uh, the old school way goes well because that one is it's flexible it's it's understandable it's simple and uh you know if we did it ourselves we would have obviously that kind of granular control that it sounds like we want
0: right yeah i think that uh you know for this kind of a game in particular we want to make sure that um the lights behave in a very specific way you had even
1: talked briefly the other day about like, what if we didn't have lights, because yeah. it's kind of being
0: a pain in your butt. I was just kind of like thinking out loud, you yeah. know, on on GChat, um, because actually, you know, I was looking at. So I basically took all the lights away um, in the current like prototype of the game because um, I wasn't really happy with where they were at. So I just kind of nuked it. Yeah, and um, it would be really easy to recreate. the the lighting that i had before so i'm not really worried about that but um and i was looking at the game and i was playing it and you know your art looks really good and uh i was kind of thinking to myself like well would it be okay if we didn't have like dynamic lighting in this game like what would it look like how would it feel would it feel okay well thank you very much that's uh, that's also
1: an excellent segue
0: yes it is excellent (laughs) why don't you tell us more about uh your amazing art
1: oh hey look at that art time i guess uh this is a good time for my art tip i guess matt's art tip number one You everybody ready Can we got uh, a, a lost cast drum roll the cats <laughs> and i are ready <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're all at the edge of your seat um so i'm gonna start pretty basic because you know uh i'm learning right i'm putting my tiger hat on here um but i know some things i've been studying and I, i'm taking it seriously so i'm gonna put uh put my tiger hat on and i'm gonna say art, matt's art tip number one is to find your starting point and uh, I will obviously elaborate. <laughs> no, that's it. We're done. That's party starting point. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> no more art information. That's
0: right. That's all you get.
1: So, uh, listeners might already know this because I'm sure I've talked about it. But back in 2010, I just kind of started doing art because, um, you know, it was like a part-time thing at the time and neither one of us really wanted to spend money on art. And a big part of it, too, is spending the significant amount of time it would take to both find an artist and work with that artist and go back and forth with that artist and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, if nothing else, I think it was like, it was really interesting to me, you know, like there's these problems in life that you really want to tackle and there's some things that you really don't, (laughs) you know, and you should know that about yourself and you should, uh, double down on the stuff that you, that you want to do, you know, and that's, that's always been one of the things that art was for me is I, I always found it challenging and interesting and I was like eager to do it even though I knew I was, but (laughs) I was terrible. I didn't lack, like I lacked the skills, you know, I, I, maybe had some inherent, like talents deep down from when I was a kid or something, but like no education, you know, no, like hardly any experience. But uh, you hadn't actually cultivated those talents. They were just. Yeah. There. That's what like art school and stuff is for, you know? And that's interesting too, because like I remember um, when I was thinking about like, is art something that I could do? And like a lot of art schools, they won't even let you in. Like you had to be an artist of a certain caliber and learn on your own. And this was back in the, you know, 80s, 90s before the internet made it relatively easy to go and learn all this stuff so i was like from my perspective my very limited perspective of the world it was pretty much like oh no you're just not an artist you're not good enough to be an artist you can't get into art school you're never going to be able to learn more so figure something else out and that was that you know right. anywho um so i think the first part of it is like find that spark and if you don't have it if you're like oh, i don't i don't want to draw you know i don't i don't want to paint i don't want to move pixels around i don't want to do this stuff it's going to be an uphill battle. You're you're not going to make it because it is like the art side. We were talking about this uh, just recently. The art side is just as deep and overwhelming as the like development side. They're both as like subtle and nuanced and, and and deep and and just really hard to understand and hard to get good at, you know, and like you can make progress. You can sit down any time of the day and you can make progress with development or arts programming you know almost anything but it's going to be these tiny little baby steps it's not like almost no day are you going to make significant progress it's more like weeks or months or years yeah Um,
0: it's a long road
1: yeah so what happened was like I would pretty much just do the art out of necessity and like I said I also enjoyed it but uh, that just kind of kept going and then you know it turned into uh, jobs for us we both had programming jobs but we were game designers and programmers you know I wasn't at all doing art at that point But then the moment we quit our jobs and went full-time indie, I jumped right back into the art pool because all of a sudden it was like, we no longer have these artists working at this company that can just pump out art for us. It's got to be me again. Especially at that time because we were like, (laughs) when we didn't have these web developer jobs anymore, there was no option of like, well, we could just pay someone. You know, we could spend the time, find somebody, and we could spend the money because we can afford it. Like, once we were independent, like, (laughs) no, (laughs) we could barely afford to pay rent. You're not going to pay an artist. Right. And then, so getting all the way through a wizard's lizard and doing all that art and everything, um, some, at some point I realized like our next project's coming up and it's all going to be on me again. And just having come through a wizard's lizard, knowing just the vast amount of stuff I was going to have to be drawing, I started to get this kind of like purport, uh, preparation feel, you know, like I was like, okay, like I know, I know this marathon's coming up, so I'd better start uh, training. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, so anyway, this was like, I was actually looking at, um, I made this Asana project called, uh, art Improvement, And it's, uh, I think I started in January. It may have been a little earlier, but, um, my basic starting point was like, the, I think the very first step, uh, is to just start drawing, to start creating art. And I'm talking about daily. It needs to be something that you do every single day. And, it doesn't need to be a big deal. It doesn't need to be more than 10 minutes. It doesn't need to be more than one pencil and one sheet of paper. That's the thing too. Like there's like, you're going to find whenever you try to learn something, you're going to find all these complaints. You're going to find yourself like kind of uh, like dragging your feet and you find excuses and you're like, I don't have a sketchbook or like, I don't like the program I'm using that draws or I, I really want a tablet. I can't draw off my mouse. I, it, it, all these things are excuses. There's no reason anybody that doesn't have, you know, eyes and hands can't sit down and draw. <laughs> Seriously, you can, like, you have a pen somewhere in your house. If you don't, you can find one. You, you can get a, a piece of computer paper, like printing paper. It doesn't matter. A napkin. It doesn't matter. Anything, you know? And so, there's no excuse and it needs to become something that you're like, here's so here's what I did with my art improvement project. Um, I have two recurring tickets. One is called Warm Up and the other is called Improved Fundamentals. And so it becomes part of my every single day. I just sit down like, yeah, I drew something. I, I hate it all. It all looks garbage. But every single time I'm like, I'm flexing my muscles, you know, I'm learning, I'm improving by these tiny
0: little, little baby It's like steps. A, a workout regime. It is. It's very much like that.
1: Yeah. I saw, um, I've, I've been following a lot of artists on Twitter and uh, one of them tweeted something like, um, I wish life was more like a video game where, you know, say you want to get better at drawing, you can just start grinding. And then I realized, oh, it is like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. You know, it's like you could go in Final Fantasy game, you can walk around the forest, you can kill some, you know, tree golems and some, some wood sprites or something and you can gain some levels and there you go. You can do the same thing like with drawing. You can sit down, you can bang out a couple pages out of your sketchbook, you can learn some stuff about 3D objects and there you go. You know you so, leveled
0: up. What was your starting point?
1: So, okay, so there's a 2010 where I just started doing it, um but I wasn't like I was just wanting to produce. And we talked about this I think last week where I was like I just wanted to do it and have it done. And every time I would sit down to make art, I wanted it to be like something that I could use for something, you know? Um, And it wasn't until like late last year where I I kind of changed my perspective on it. I was like, I need to make it something that I'm doing every day. And not only is it like the stuff I'm making, I'm not going to use, but the stuff I'm making, I'm probably going to throw away. You know, it's like, it's just for the learning. It's not for the producing at all. Um, So my starting point was I found control paint, which I've talked about before. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And this is by a concept artist. Of, I believe he's freelance, uh, and he makes obviously a series of uh, tutorial videos and stuff. His name's Matt Core, and his videos are fantastic because he covers traditional, he covers digital, he covers the basics, he covers like starting to draw, he covers more advanced stuff like perspective, uh, color theory. He he covers it all, and all the videos are in these really bite-sized. Um, just like 10 minute videos, five minute videos, three minute videos. And I found that really attractive. And so that was my starting point. It was, it was like this kind of balance for one draw every day, something, it doesn't matter. Just lay marks down on, on paper or some digital canvas, you know? And then number two was educate yourself because I was just woefully ignorant. I didn't know any of this stuff, you know? So I just hit it really hard. I watched every single control paint video and it took, I think two months or something like that, to get through all of them. And I didn't stop there. I went and bought some of his premium stuff. He's got these nice packages where he covers, like, more stuff in depth. Um, they range from, like, 10 bucks to 50 bucks, I think. Mm. And every single one of them has been well worth it to me. Nice. Yeah. So, that's been kind of my um, my starting point. I'm actually finding some notes here. Um, here was one thing that I noticed is, like, <clears throat> I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, I took these piano lessons when I was a kid, right? I was, like, eight or something like that. And I really enjoyed certain parts of it. And I could even practice every day. Like, I had that mentality where I could sit down and do it, right? But I didn't have this kind of deep core of understanding why it was I wanted to be doing it, what it was I liked about it, and what, how it could, like, benefit me. You know what I mean? And I think it was, like, this, this motivational thing. All the content I was doing, like, I was practicing um, Christmas songs and classical music, like Mozart and Beethoven and stuff. And, like, I liked it. I think that's great music. But it wasn't my thing, you know? And if I had been learning Mega Man or Final Fantasy themes, you know, I probably would still be playing piano to this day. right? And so, that's what I think is the really important thing is like, because what I found out is like with, with drawing and with art, it makes me, I'm not just better at my job, I'm not just pushing my company forward and enabling my company to make better things, I'm improving my ability to communicate, you know, like if I want to express an idea to you, I could talk at you for an hour and you might be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> then I draw you a quick little picture and I'm like, bam, here you go. There you go. You, you can understand it. You know, it, it increases my ability to be a person that wants to communicate with other people. It's yeah. great.
0: Well, I was say, it's so important for, uh, you know, the medium that we're working in. It you is. Know, uh, obviously, games are probably f- first and foremost uh, interactive. And then yeah. secondly, visual.
1: Yeah. Like and there uh, are games that are just, you know, audible, right? or games that, like, they just, they're just based on vibrations, like, they're very accessible games um, for people with handicaps and that kind of a thing, but they're kind of more few and far between. Like, your average game, yeah, you're right, it's a, it is a very visual thing, for better or for worse. Right. And especially right. with video games, like, our core is we need strong engineering, like, strong programming, you know, and then the rest of it, like, you could, you could actually take the sound effects away. Some people play with the volume off, some people play with their own music, some people play with no music, but at the like at the end of the day we are drawing pixels to the screen and the better looking they are the better the game's gonna do pretty much
0: uh hopefully (laughs) hopefully i mean that (laughs) that is that is the hope it kind of speaks to your point about like trying to communicate right like uh the mood you know it's we're talking about how the art can tell the story for you yeah you know i think we were talking about uh earlier this week we were talking about How, like, the objects in the world, um, not just from a, like, kind of what you're talking about before, like, a technical perspective, like, technically, how you would create art perspective and and lines and all that things, color theory, but, like, what you draw is important in how you're communicating and telling your story. Right. Um, I think one thing we were talking about was, like, you know, if you're in, uh, for example, in Wizard's Lizard if you're in the wizard's house or you're in a specific location, you know, the things that you would see are going to be atmospheric, hopefully, of the location, right? So, like, in the wizard's house, you might see potions and scrolls and magic books and things like that. And so, like, the the way that you communicate with the player visually is really important for kind of setting the mood of a level.
1: Yeah. We were talking about some more kind of art direction stuff really which we don't really get into you know it feels like especially with the visual side traditionally we've kind of held our heads just above water you know and now it feels like we've got a little bit of room to play in and we're starting to actually have like art direction conversations and those would be along the lines of like when you look at a wizard lizard one a lot of the objects in the game could exist in any game you see a bookshelf and you're like Okay, fine. It looks like you could put that in any other game almost. You see a chest. You see a table and chairs and, you know, a a sports ball you can kick around in the village and a a well. Almost everything that you see really in that game could be in any game. And from the art direction side, we were talking the other day about how, like, you know, the wizard's table would have a scroll on it, a magical scroll, like melted candle wax, an orb, a beaker. Um, The chairs that I'm going to draw are going to have, like, some gnawing around the legs, because that's, that would represent that there's a pet living in this house, a lizard, right? right? Like they need to be things that feel like they are planted in our own unique little universe. Right. Right. That's really important stuff. Cause it's like, it's what we're trying to find the things that separate what we make from what anyone else might be making.
0: And using, you know, using art to tell the story in ways that, uh, you know, you wouldn't have to otherwise, or right. would be more difficult otherwise. I mean, you could you could communicate to the player that you're in a wizard's house with like a lot of dialogue, perhaps, right? Um, but it's not as efficient yeah. as you know just making it look like you're in a wizard's house.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So along the lines of uh, this is something I forgot to mention is like when when it comes to like okay, it's easy to say draw every day, right? And I firmly believe like there's no excuses, right? That's a big part of it is you just need to be doing it every day. But some people will have like, you know, I even sat down today with a sheet of paper and a pencil and I, when you look at that blank canvas, you're like, it, it can be terrifying. You're like, what in the world? The moment I lay down one mark, I'm in trouble because <laughs> it wasn't what I pictured in my head and I hate it already and like every additional mark just muddies it up and makes it worse and worse. You don't even know what to draw sometimes, Right. Um, And so that's a big part of it is like this kind of goes back to what I was talking about like that core motivation like from piano find subjects that really interest you and like you know when you start off that should be pretty simple you know like if you like elephants that's fantastic you should just start to collect really cool photos of elephants they're everywhere go to the zoo look at elephants you know and just start to draw them, and you should start really, really simple. Like, an elephant's body is just a big oval. That's a great starting point. You don't need much uh, much more than an oval just to say, like, here's the beginnings of an elephant, you know? And uh, you should have a library, basically, of things that you think are cool-looking and that you'd be excited to draw. That way, every time you sit down, like, to me, sometimes um, I'll do this, like, for example, I was waiting for a delivery today, and I had, like, 30 to 60 minutes to kill. I didn't really feel like drawing and i didn't know what i would be drawing if i sat down but i don't even have to think about it anymore i've the past matt has actually done something good for present matt he has wow that's a change i know that's (laughs) so unusual almost always in the podcast i'm like curse you but uh past matt did something right so what i have is um notebooks or sketchbooks available so i've got lots of paper i've got lots of pencils these are all pretty inexpensive things and then i have uh, a couple of comics and uh, I, I like the way they look. It doesn't even matter about the story. One of them is called Weird World. Uh, I don't know. I read one of them. It was fine. I love the art. I love the color. Uh, one of them is my favorite comics from all time. It is a Link to the Past comic that first debuted in like uh, you know various issues of Nintendo Power. Mm. They now sell a uh, collector's combined edition of that. And so I will just I will literally open it up to a random page and I'll be like, that's a cool picture of Link. I'm going to draw that. I don't have to think about it. You know, I've I've removed that decision making. From me, And it has made my just sitting down and working
0: uh, much smoother. You've removed the decision paralysis. I
1: have, perhaps. yeah,
0: exactly. Which is important because uh, that's a, a pretty difficult thing to get past sometimes. And not just for art, but for anything.
1: It is. I've talked about this before. This is another thing that past Matt did right is um, kind of picking a palette and sticking to it. And I've been merciless with that. Like sometimes I'm, I'm bored with that palette. You know, I, I want to try something else. And actually, we have for some side projects, um, like either either game jams or client work and stuff like that. Um, but what's been really great about it is that color itself is a vast, vast ocean that you can just get completely overwhelmed with. You could spend your whole life just studying value, line, form, that kind of stuff. Not even touching color outside of value. You could spend your whole... Seriously, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. You could. Some people have. You spend your whole life just studying that stuff. So kind of taking the decision-making away from the color aspect has been something that's enabled me to be more successful with just like the basics of shapes and value and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's like anything else. Like there are, you know, it's, you could almost think of any piece of art, uh, almost like, you know, making a game. Like there are so many sub facets of it that, uh, to try and tackle them all in one go is inadvisable.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's it's overwhelming. Um, here's something else too that I had to realize is uh, especially when I first started doing this stuff, um, like back in 2010, I wanted to share everything I was doing. I wanted everything that I did to be good. And I don't have that at all anymore. And I think that that's a big part of it is you need to allow yourself to fail. This is true for game development as a whole. You know, you need to like, you need to get some crap out of you, right? You need to you know, like, I made my first five <laughs> games. They're all garbage. I, I wouldn't suggest to anyone to play them you know and it's same thing with drawing only i feel like it's a daily thing you know like you're gonna draw something that looks kind of bad every day but that's okay because that's part of the learning process you know not everything that you draw needs to look great or even be finished you know it's just that you're laying down lines and getting more comfortable and and understanding what you're doing
0: i write bad code every day
1: (laughs) you sure do (laughs) i saw you doing it live yesterday uh Oh, um, I thought I might also give like, here is a, cause I've been doing this now for, you know, I, since January, I guess, let's just say that, um, this is like my average day. Like, so for example, today, actually today's a bad example. Let's say use yesterday. <laughs> podcast day messes me up. Like I don't usually get to sit down and do uh, non podcast work until like late afternoon or early evening. Right. But, uh, yesterday was like, you know, all, it's just like an art day, which still to me feels a little bit weird because I'm like, shouldn't I be programming, you know, <laughs> but here's what I'll do. Um, so I sit down and I warm up. And I, t- I mentioned this earlier, how I have this daily recurring ticket in Asana for warm up. And uh, this is really great, especially if you're starting drawing. Look up gestural drawings. There's fantastic videos on YouTube. In fact, I'll put a link to um, this artist I started following uh, called Stan, Pro- Stan Prokopenko, who goes by Proko on YouTube. And uh, he has these really great gestural videos. And the nice thing about gesture is you're not, you're not even trying to capture form. You're not even trying to necessarily even get the proportions correct. You're more, it's like the movement lines. This, this might not make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but if you go and check out the video, it'll make sense. Like, you know, picture me posing like a, like a weightlifter, you know, I've got my arms up and I'm trying to flex my muscles. Right. Mm -hmm. You would just kind of draw these motion lines. You're not necessarily trying to draw down a line saying like, this is what an arm looks like. You're trying to get across just the shape and the feel, the flow of the way things are moving. Right. And the great thing about it is gesture drawings are meant to be very simple and very basic. And so, when you're doing it, you won't be like, oh, it looks bad or it's too basic or I'm not good at this. It it doesn't really matter as long as it just exists, you know? Um, So, usually what I'll do is I'll start with some gestures. And my warm-up ticket is uh, is pretty explicit these days. It says, uh, let's see here. So, my goal, like this is the thing too, is like you kind of want to have goals when you sit down. And like my goal is to first loosen up because like I've noticed this... um, If i don't warm up the first couple things i do are aggressively bad they're not just i'm not producing art for our games i'm like hurting my own confidence because the stuff i'm putting out is stiff and rigid and bad and i'm I'm losing confidence and i'm losing steam and, and it's terrible um so my goal when i sit down to warm up is to loosen up first of all right and this means like moving your arm not from your wrist but from your elbow from your shoulder you know, get these big, broad strokes and, and just, like, loosen up. It's like it's like uh, stretching before you work out or before you run or
0: something. Well, that makes a lot of sense.
1: And then I'll do some... Uh, I start off with some quick gestural line studies and I'll pick, like, you know, let's talk about earlier, some Zelda. Um, I'll go... I have these uh, this folder I keep, ta- like, filled with references and stuff. So it doesn't even matter. I, I love it all. I will just pick a random folder sometimes, pick a random image. I'll be like, hey, there we go. Um, if I don't know what else in the world to draw, I will usually draw um, women, I love how women look, you know, it doesn't have to be anything gross about it. They, they, they look gorgeous and there's all kinds of poses you can find, you know, of just people sitting in chairs or just walking around and you just draw a quick gesture and you, and you warm up, you know, that's a good, a good tip. So that's uh, that's about 10 minutes and it's important that I do it for about 10 minutes because if I don't, then I'm not really warmed up. Um, And that's how I start. And I have another ticket, like I mentioned for art improvement. And the fact of the matter is I don't get to that every day. Um, I was for a long time, especially like, you know, back in the, probably the first half or first quarter of this year, I was kind of more slanted towards art improvement than art creation. And so I was, I would say I'd probably like 80, 20 or something. I would spend most of my time learning, but we're kind of like, we have been for a couple months now. We're kind of in production mode where we're like, we need to hit these milestones. We need to be making stuff that we can ship, you know? So Mm -hmm. uh, on most days I don't actually practice, but I do uh, at least warm up.
0: But you kind of are practicing in the sense that you're creating anyway, right? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like uh, programming, right? Uh, yeah. Or really anything in that just a simple act of, of executing on the skills that you've been learning um, gives you like new insights. Like, uh, there's all kinds of stuff that um, crops up as you produce things for actual consumption yeah. uh, that you have to tackle. You know, it's like uh, the lighting stuff. You know, I'm learning the lighting stuff, not because I'm sitting down saying, hey, uh, I want to learn how to do lighting, um, but because I'm trying to do certain things and I'm running up against roadblocks where I have to figure out what to do.
1: Yes, exactly. So once I'm warmed up, then I will just jump in and I've, you know how it is with Lost Decade, I always have a billion different things that need to be drawn or whatnot, But what I've noticed is um, I like to start with the the easiest task I have on me. And so, like, for example, today it'll be like um, I want to draw some stuff to put on a bookshelf. That's pretty easy. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to draw a table. That's really easy. I want to draw, like, a house plant. I've done that before. I think that's pretty easy and kind of fun. Um, I want to do a new bucket. Like, just things that are easy. What's hard... I think, are characters. <laughs> so yeah. like Raga. Raga is hard to draw. Like if you want to draw a person, a human, a face, a hand, like some things are really, really hard to draw and uh, just don't start with those would be my advice, you know?
0: Because It's like, kind of like an extended warm-up.
1: It is. It's a way of looking at it. Yeah, like you warm up, you, you kind of, you know, you, you loosen up a little bit and you're not going to just put out really stiff, gross-looking lines so you're kind of warmed up. But then, yeah, there's like a second phase. Like I might... My first table might be lousy, you know? And so, that be- becomes part of the warm-up process. But uh, I found that when I start with, like, my most difficult task first, I'm more likely to fail, and not just fail, but, like, defeat myself for the day, where I'm like, ah, oh, that looks garbage. I'm going to try it again. Still garbage. I'm going to go for a walk, you know? And it might be, like, <laughs> three hours before I sit down again, and I'm full of self-loathing, and I'm like, here we go again, you know? Right. Like, start start with something easy and, and work your way up to the
0: harder stuff. Uh, I think that... I've heard that kind of advice in a lot of different capacities. You know, it's like uh, like having a to-do list uh, yeah. of anything, really. Like, here's the things I need to do around the house today. Um, yeah. Like, just start banging them out, right? Like, the, the, more, uh, the more wins you can get more quickly, the better your motivation is probably going to be.
1: I saw a quote recently. I don't know where this was, but it was like, if you want to increase your rate of success, you need to increase your rate of failure. And mm. that spoke really truthfully to me, you know, because let's say I like one out of 10 things I draw. Well, how can I draw more things that I like? Well, if I drew 100 things, <laughs> I, I would draw, you know, 90 lousy things, but 10, 10 things I'd like, okay, yeah, this is not so bad. Just like anything else, basically. Yeah. Um, the next thing I want to talk about for next week, I'm not going to talk about it today, but uh, Matt's art tip number two, I think a really good thing to talk about next is going to be primitives.
0: Hmm. So, like, boxes and spheres and cones and... Shapes. yeah, shapes.
1: Yeah. And, um, I don't know, I've got, I've just, I think it's actually a pretty good time for me to start talking about this stuff because it's like, I'm a little beyond the point where I feel like I don't know what in the world I'm doing and I should just shut up and, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm learning just enough where I'm like, hey, I, I actually have some insights and it's like fresh enough in my mind because like, I just kind of started, I just did this stuff not that long ago. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to do another art tip next week, me primitives, and I've got a whole lot more to say on the subject. So, uh, if it's not interesting, let us know. If it is interesting, uh, also be sure to let us know.
0: All right, we'll just uh, we'll just cut out Matt's section from the podcast. <laughs> Again,
1: I do that every week.
0: <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Um, I, I, I like hearing about all the art stuff because uh, I think it really solidifies my mind how much overlap there is in almost any creative profession or endeavor. I can't even
1: tell you how many takeaways like something I learned related to art that I, I could apply to programming or game design game developments just the marketing side there's yeah there's a ton of overlap like you're doing a lot of the same stuff it's just a little bit different
0: you know I think like you know the basic concepts kind of boil down to like one just get started Yes, just sit down and do it with whatever materials or whatever language or whatever you happen to have available. Yes, uh, and then two, like just iterate, 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 and uh, and learn, right? And and have like a system like you're talking about for warming up. Um, you know, I, I think that that's helped me too. I, I've done some things where, like, um, when I start working on you know a Wizard's Lizard two for the day, I might just start like making some props, like something that's easy you know, I like mess with some sprite settings and I like pop them into Unity Editor. Yeah. And then I kind of mess with the colliders and I get them feeling right and I play with the friction and uh, I kind of set the the anchor points so that they, they sit on the tiles in the correct spot and stuff. And all that stuff I've done a lot, but it kind of helps me get into uh, the flow. And then I'm like, okay, now I can start working on something a little bit more complicated, like, uh, you know, interaction between objects or projectiles or, or what have you.
1: Yeah, I love that kind of thing. Like, it's something that kind of disappears from your own awareness of how it is that you create. You know, I've seen this with a lot of people, is they're like, they just sit down and start doing it, and they couldn't even describe to you why they're doing it the way that they are. But there might be this really great story of how they got there. Like, they used to do it a very different way, and this is like an optimized place that they're at, but they might not even be aware of it, you know? Um, Something else I didn't mention earlier is uh, learning to learn. Before I started hitting the art stuff really hard, I read a book about learning. It's kind of meta, and not a lot of people are going to have the patience for that. I think a lot of people want to hit the ground running, you know? Like, I, I definitely did. Um, but, I mean, I think part of that is that you you will, like, especially if you find your starting point and you begin to produce every single day, you begin to practice every single day, you know? But the learning to learn thing, I think, is, is invaluable. You don't have to go learn or, like, read a book about learning, right? But you should be educating yourself. And that's what a big part of like watching these control paint videos is all about. But something else about practice, um, there's an article or something, I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes if I can find it. But it boils down to like, if you just sit down and start drawing every single day and nothing else in the world is happening, you're not going to get much better. You're going to get a lot more comfortable with your pencil. You're going to get a lot more comfortable at laying down marks and lines or with your tablet or whatever, but you're not going to be improving. Really, you're you're going to be getting better at some things. You need to kind of like expand your horizons, you know? You need to at least know where it is that you're lacking and what you could be doing and learning
0: to improve. Right, yeah. I'll
1: try to find that article. It was like, it was really great because it's, uh, it might have been that book, <laughs> honestly, but it was like, there's different types of practice, you know? And just, just doing it alone isn't always enough. A lot of times, you like, that's why people have like apprenticeships, you know? You work underneath someone, you see how they work, and they can guide you and help you instead of you just like, you know, repeating the same poor steps over and over again
0: and it's kind of a natural human trait you know to want to stay in your comfort zone
1: it really is yeah
0: you know it's like oh i'm you know part of it's like a self-discipline thing you know sometimes you just don't have the mental energy uh to you know tackle something that you're not comfortable with yeah and uh and it's hard something i started doing recently
1: on that end is i've started doing my my gestural studies holding my pencil differently I think uh. most people probably hold their pencils between their middle index and thumb, probably. You know, where yeah. you have, a like, tight control. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the videos I watch, you kind of, you hold it with just your thumb and your index finger, and you're actually drawing with the side of the pencil instead of pointing the point down at the paper. And so you kind of get these broader strokes, and it makes it a lot easier to resist the urge to draw with your wrist, which is better for detailing than it is for, you know, broad, nice flowing strokes and... Uh, Smooth lines and that kind of stuff. That's
0: really interesting. So like I was just kinda playing around with a pencil in my hand and I was trying to figure out how I would hold a pen <laughs> or a pencil. And like the way I would hold it by default is that with my index and my thumb and then I rest kind of like the middle uh, lower middle of the pencil on my on my middle finger. Yeah, exactly. So just like you're writing, like you're writing a letter. Dear yeah. dear
1: Matt. Nice dear podcast
0: Matt. today. <laughs> <laughs> Dearest Matt, our game is way behind. We should really get back to work. <laughs> By the time you read this letter, I will be
1: lost. Love and tiger hats, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, but no, um, I mean, you can draw that way, and that's actually pretty good for detailing. It gives you that tight control. And I also have a tendency, when I hold it that way, I just, I put all the pressure in the world into it. You can tell, like, I can tell when I've been drawing that way because I'll look at my sketchbook, and the previous pages have, like, these indentions, mm. you know, and it'll bleed through to the next page. But uh, when you draw with the side of the pencil, um, it's just better for certain things. Uh, to me, it's better for gestures or for just, like, doing a layout or, like, linear block in. It's, it's, ver- it's better for various things, but the... But the I think the overall point of it is that I didn't want to do it that way. At first it felt very uncomfortable to draw that way, but I felt like it was necessary just to give myself more perspective and kind of kick me out of that comfort zone.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I think I I feel the same way about learning unity and stuff. I mean, I was really excited to learn unity, but you know, definitely uh, fell into this spot where, you know, I was doing things more slowly and more awkwardly than, (laughs) Uh, than i otherwise would and actually that's a kind of bringing it full circle to lighting discussion you know maybe maybe i should just sit down and like figure out a better way to do lighting you know and instead of falling back to someone that i know
1: oh interesting you know we had talked about that uh, i'm sure on the podcast but uh i know it was offline we came up with this term we're always trying to come up with terms to kind of help our language and simplify our conversations and that kind of stuff and it was a uh this is going to sound really dumb and obvious now, but it's a, a stale solution is a uh, is term that we're using. And here's a great example. I'm sure, you know, longtime listeners will remember this one. The big flaming skull in a wizard's lizard, <clears throat> that is one hell of a stale solution. So the problem was we wanted more, like, undead creatures in a wizard's lizard. And the solution was something we picked out of Onslaught Arena, which was like a 2010-2011 game. And the problem with it is that the behavior is, is pretty weak sauce. It's like it'll just randomly chase the player and then kind of stop and drift off. And it can kind of feel unfair. You know, like this this skull could be right near you and then just all of a sudden bah, it smacks right into you. And you're like, ah, like there's no, there's no warning. There's no rhyme to the reason. There's nothing the player can do because it's totally random, right? Right. And so I just took that and I pasted that into a wizard lizard. And I was like, done. I solved the problem of not having enough monsters, but it was stale. It was like... Bad. You know, it's, it's, like moldy it's not good bread. design. Moldy bread, yes. Mmm, <laughs> love the taste of that of that moldy bread. And so uh, that's something to be on the lookout for. And as, also, this relates to last week when we were talking about uh, Iwata. Um, Iwata had this thing when he was talking about running Nintendo. And when you have a really experienced game designer, it can sometimes, sometimes, in, in some contexts, be problematic. Because let's say this veteran game designer, has used these 10 solutions to solve this specific problem, right? Like, this person will have this arsenal at their disposal that they want to use. They've used before. They know it's good. They can be an advocate for this solution. But the problem is that it might be that none of their solutions are right for this current problem, but they still really want to use it, you know, because it's what they have. It's what they know. But it can be dangerous, you know, especially when you're doing something like Nintendo is always trying to do. They want to do new things, you know, the blue ocean strategy. They want, to, they want to invent new games. They don't want to, you know, just copy paste someone else's genre and then, you know, just print in, hey, there's Mario, whatever. It's Halo with Mario. It's fine. They don't <laughs> want to do that. And so these old solutions are, are very often not, not the right solution.
0: Yeah. Something Again, it's like gets it. the comfort zone, right? It's, it's much easier to reach into your toolbox of kind of tried and true methodology than it is to, you know, create something new. That's true.
1: So, what would you do? What if you're not going to try the kind of, you know, masking overlay solution that we had in AWL1? What would you try instead?
0: Um, Well, maybe a combination of that, but I really want to get to a place where uh, I can have those, like, dynamically cast 2D shadows. Mm, yeah, I think, I, I think it look cool. I think that's what I want to have. You know, all things being equal, that's what I would prefer. I see. And so rather than like fall back to what's easy, maybe I should really learn how to create those effects myself. Because I mean, the problem is is that there are uh, packages like we were talking about that do that on the asset store, but they don't necessarily work in the way that uh, the rest of our system currently works, you know, and part of that is sprite tile and part of that is just, you know, whatever else. And so, you know, maybe may come down to just learning a little bit more about how that actually works at a low level.
1: That's kind of interesting. There's actually a task I've had in my art improvement project for quite a while, which is to learn more about um, how to put down shadows accurately mm. in a 3D environment. <clears throat> and so, like, I've learned these methods where you can, you know, you lay down your horizon line, your vanishing points, and you work in, you know, two or three point perspective and you draw your your primitive. Like, a lot of times I'll start with cubes because they're easy, you know? Um, But what I don't fully understand is sometimes I can pull it off, but like there's basically just these simple um, methods you can walk through. You use the same types of steps you're using to, to draw down the 3D shape itself, but you can also lay down its shadow based on a light source. And it's not like it eliminates the guesswork, you know? Right. And so, you put your, you know, point of uh, light down here and blah, 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 and you draw it on the lines and all of a sudden you know exactly where your shadow is supposed to be. And so, I want to learn more about that. And I found that it's exciting because it's like, I, I don't know it. I'll sit down right now and be like, how would this thing's, like, how would this object's shadow look being cast behind it? Like, uh, like this? <laughs> you know, I, I just guess. And a lot of times it doesn't, it doesn't look quite right. And that's exactly what you don't want in a drawing, you know? So, it's kind of interesting that... Um, Yeah, I I find that the the lighting, me not knowing the lighting stuff makes me want to tackle it. And it sounds like you've got kind of a similar thing going on.
0: Yeah. Something else that's always interesting to me about art is like, uh, and maybe you can talk about this in a later episode or later Matt's art tip, but uh, like learning how to look at something and, you know, digest what you're seeing, you know, because the human brain is kind of bad at stuff like that sometimes, (laughs) like... And I think it's why it's hard to draw stuff like shadows or the human body and stuff is that if you're not looking at it directly, you know, it's really difficult to to make a picture in your brain of what it's supposed to look like. You have like the basic idea, but it doesn't necessarily reflect how light would work in reality, perhaps.
1: Yeah. the The human brain is really good at kind of like 3D terrain, you know, like geometry in the world. So, like, you might remember your hometown. You might know the streets you grew up on, like, the back of your hand. You might be able to walk to your grocery store blindfolded and back, right? You might know the inside of your apartment, like, you could draw a map from memory or something. But when it comes to the detail of stuff, that's that's a lot of times when your brain kind of gets lost, you know? Like, humans aren't necessarily built for that from the ground up. right?
0: anyways uh i think that's all we have for this week so uh thanks for listening don't forget to check us out on uh, the forum post your thoughts let us know what you think at forum.lostdecadegames.com man we really appreciate all these awesome tweets they're really motivating especially i love it this week when they
1: arrive on monday and tuesday like yes perfect timing it really does make for a, a better podcast i think so uh, yeah. we really appreciate that and we really appreciate your ears This week, we're going to play you out with Turtle Dance. This is the That Andy Guy remix.
0: Ship it. God, I don't care about anything you're talking about right now. (laughs) This is going to be a great podcast, I can tell.